Two social workers on a mission to change the narrative. Elenio Baby's podcast seeks to empower others in making changes to maintain their physical, emotional, and mental health. This podcast is about becoming the best version of ourselves. I hope you feel inspired. Join Bria Spencer and Fadia Jean-Pierre bi-weekly as they initiate conversations about mental health, fitness, and travel. Share this with someone who needs it. Follow us on Instagram at millennial underscore babes underscore podcast. And let's continue the conversation. Welcome back to the Millennial Babes podcast. Hello, everyone. I hope you're doing well today and you woke up feeling blessed. Some days we wake up and sit at the edge of our bed wondering, how am I going to face my fear? Not knowing what's going to happen, you find yourself in an unfamiliar place. I want you to join us today as we discuss finding the courage to face your fears with the J Cons. Jay Cons is a clinical business research consultant, author, mental health advocate, and the host of the We the People podcast. Welcome, Jay. Thank you for coming on our podcast and joining us in this conversation. Is there anything else you want the audience to know about you? Um, thank you for having me. First of all, I'm uh, glad to glad to be on here, and um, I think it's an important uh, topic that we're talking about because most people suffer from worry in one way or another. Um, but uh, no, I think you, I think you crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's, so I'm, I'm, I'm good with that. All right, Jay, I'm so excited you're here. So um, I found your podcast and I was like listening to it and I was like very intrigued by like the topic of choice and conversation you were having. And then of course I have on your live. So um, as we talk about our fear and I'm, you know, it's really important that we uh, have healthy relationship with ourselves, which is something that you talk about and like you touch on. So for me, I feel like when I look at myself like in the mirror and like I find myself like learning things about me that I'm not so happy, I like, I'm, I don't like so much. And I'm like, wow, I never knew I had to still about myself. Um, so how do you like start to look in with yourself and unlearn those things? And like when you're uncomfortable, it makes you uncomfortable. And how do you create that space to start learning them so that you can start facing those fears? Honestly, I, I definitely think a big part of it is uh, confronting our responses to fight or flight. Right, we think it's just something that's kind of automatic. But um, as with anything else, I mean, we create the relationships we have. You know, driving is automatic because you've done it so much. So I think really exploring how you respond to certain things or, or getting in tune with that is the first step. Before you can change anything, it's awareness. Mm -hmm. So I think recognizing what you're afraid of and acknowledging it and even being able to mitigate or uh, redefine those relationships. How can you redefine those relationships? Like sitting with yourself and like face those on. Like those are, those are challenging things for us to do as human beings to sit there and like have to face them and like really sit with ourselves. Absolutely. And I think it's because a large part of it is the, is the way we view the world. We view handling things or addressing things external, external need. Like anytime you have a problem with someone, it starts with basic conflict, whether it's friends or at work, you feel the need of, I need to tell them something. And you think you need to set them straight. But the reality is any conflict is only part of that person and part yourself. So um, the first thing is really understanding everything starts with understanding. So what did they say? What is it bothering? And someone can say, I ain't got time for you. And you know, you're upset. You're like, I don't like the way you talk to me. But in reality, in your life, what did that change? It didn't change your bank statement. It didn't change your employment status. It didn't change the people that love you. So it's really understanding what happened to me. And it's usually not the situation that you're addressing. You usually have to go back. What happened to me? that made me attach all this negativity onto these words and this action. Um, I heard, I listened to a podcast before. It's actually by NPR. Um, it's called Invisibilia, but it was a couple of years ago. And at the time, my mother was um, terminally ill with cancer. And we had listened to it. And it really made me think because it talked about uh, basically 
always say things like, you made me upset, right? Or when you did that, that made me mad, as if it's involuntary. But um, going through the research, basically what they broke down was that when you you select, you, it's like, it's, I hate to use this example, but for lack of a better word, because a lot of like my clients are millennials and they can relate to it. So yeah. it's even like, let's say the B word, right? If some people subscribe, like your friend, right? She'll be like, hey, you know, what are you doing, B? And you don't associate anything with negative, because that's your friend. But if, you know, let's say a guy or you're at a bar, you turn down his advances and he says it, there's a whole different connotation. So it's not the word that has power, it's what we attach to it. So we give everything meaning. So the only reason we call, we say a tree is a tree. Only reason a tree is a tree is because we all agree on that. So I started experimenting when people would say things that I felt were disrespectful, I would take away my feeling from them mm. or not respond, which is hard to do, but it's a process of retraining yourself to recreate the associations that you want to have. That's why like sometimes when someone would insult me, it would eventually have no respect. So I would like, you know, all right, you know, and it's not about taking disrespect, it's about you defining what disrespect is. Because most of the time conflict occurs because people say are you going to let them do that to you? Or let's say you have a problem at work. People come back and give you their feedback. And they say you should feel disrespected. It's about, ultimately it's about, I call it maximum accountability. Mm. Where you are in control, not just of what you do, but how you choose to feel about everything that is said to you. Nipsey Hussle said something about that. And I thought it was like probably the most profound thing he said. He said, experiment with how you handle disrespect. Mm, okay. Because I know for black men and women in the corporate professional space, that's the biggest thing. Like, you're not going to play me on, I'm out of here. Like, you shoot the 10. It's not saying take disrespect, it's experiment how you handle how you handle it. Because what I teach, like, my clients, especially in the professional setting, is how to use everything to your advantage. If someone mm -hmm. slights you, you may want to get retribution right there, but it may be beneficial to your career and your trajectory to use that as a chip, as a cachet. So you have to really be strategic. You can't be strategic and emotional. And you're going to have emotions. So the thing is just separating your emotions from your actions. People think you need to be unemotional or stoic. It's really impossible for a human to be unemotional, but it's, a poss it's possible for your emotions not to reflect in any of your actions. Mm -hmm. And it's true what you said. Like, it's really hard to just like separate your emotions sometimes. And, and that's where like the unhealthy and healthy um, way of coping, right, with your feelings, like, you're looking like, okay, what is the healthy way I am coping with this and managing it, and what is the unhealthy way, and I think we often focus more, or we, that's what we were, we were learning, we're comfortable with, is how, is the unhealthy way of dealing with anything, so, like, when your emotions get into it, and then you have to, like, really, like, get yourself out of it and manage it and say, okay, all right, how is this affecting me, like, and it's true, like, it's hard to separate the two, and it takes a lot of training, which, requires a lot of, you know, you have to go within yourself because you have to kind of figure out why am I having such a hard time with this? Why can I cope with this in such a positive way? Why is this affecting me this way? And what do I need to change? It's more like you're changing your own habits because you can't really expect this person and that person to change their way so that it can be okay for you. So like for in that sense, like how do you stay focused? and limit those health like those unhealthy distractions like those unhealthy uh, healthy distractions i'm so glad you just said what you said right um because what that that brings up like a, a significant point in the sense that um i'm a big believer in uh cognitive behavioral therapy um for anybody who doesn't really know i'll just make it simple in layman's terms like we have to get familiar with talking to ourselves really you know, because you'll call a friend, and this is the very danger of navigating a problem off of another person's perspective. You'll call a friend, and we tend to get upset with our friends when they don't give us the feedback that we want. But once you put something out, your words are like social media to me. If your profile is public and you post a picture, you don't know what you can get back. You're literally saying, I'm open to whatever. So if you, have, if you need something specific, specific back, your friend is not you, they're not going to know. And sometimes you can get a different energy that can taint your process of moving through that. So it's really important to learn to talk to ourselves because nobody knows what you need to hear better than you. So even if it's 
self-talk in the mirror sometimes in the morning about, you know, and I, I personally subscribe to meditation. And people think, oh, it's so hard. I can't do it. Like, how do you do that? I can't get my mind clear. I think that's a big myth. It's not really clearing your mind. You meditate to become a better person, not to get better in meditation. So I really don't ever try to get the problem out of my head. What kills us is the stress we have about solving the problem. And the real truth of the matter is every, any problem, all right, say, what's today's date? October 22nd or 23rd? 22nd or 25th, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay, see, I've clearly been lost. Um, So the 25th. If you look at 2014, October 25th, you probably don't remember one single problem you had that day. Or if you do, those problems have either had a solution or resolution. Every, everything doesn't have a solution, but everything has a resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of with that mindset, when you need something and we're hoping to get it from someone else because we hate depending on ourselves because it feels like a burden. But start with a little self-work in the mirror or even meditation, instead of just trying to forget about everything, think about the actual situation, not a solution, not how do I get this stress away, just think through what it's making you feel. And the more understanding you have, the more equipped you're, that's why people in relationships say, oh, um, nothing changed, but I just needed to know how you felt about that. Because understanding doesn't always give clarity, but it always creates calm. You may not be happy with what you know, but it, it's gonna give you a sense it's going to give you a better sense about the situation. You may not even have the answer you want. Um, that's why closure is so important. I know for me personally, I've had those challenges where like, for me, like discovering my purpose, like I'm wrestling with it and it makes me like discover things about myself because I know like there's some things like I need to change and it's hard. So it's like figuring out how to deal with that like that's something like I struggle with, like I'm wrestling with on a day to day, and I find myself like I still struggle with it. And like, what is what? What can you do? Like, what? How can you deal with it? Especially when you're like looking at yourself in the mirror and you're saying to yourself, like, listen, like you need to fix this. You need to work on this. You need to find a solution because if you don't, it's not gonna get better. And it's not just with this person, but like in the future, you're gonna encounter this situation maybe again or something similar. How do you like deal with that? Yeah, see, the, the thing about that is I definitely understand your perspective, and that's what a lot of people come with, like, you need the answer. Um, I try to take it back to, like, school and arithmetic. Um, I can, someone can show you how to get an answer, um, you know, necessarily, but you may not have all the steps and a solution for a math problem. So you can get the answer, but you can't show your work. You know what I mean? So we are focused on getting the answer. You get the answer, you get a good grade, but you can't teach anyone what you learn because you just got the answer. So I always look at it and say, don't ever say, you know, okay, you need to fix this. You need to say, what's my work? Because the result is not something you control. Uh, Marcus Aurelius always said this. He was a profound stoic. He said, doing the right thing is the only thing that matters, nothing else. So we focus on the end game and the result. But I've never seen anyone do something consistency, consistently with discipline and with good intentions not succeed. You know, I tell you all nice guys, but I've never seen anyone consistently work with good intentions and discipline and not succeed at some point. I've never seen it. It may have happened. It's just like what we talk about, whether things going on politically or whatever space, nothing like there's no 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 evil or wicked deed. Like Hitler thought Hitler thought the Third Reich was gonna last three thousand years. It barely lasted five. I've never seen unjust people prosper infinitely. Sometimes they die and then their reputation comes down. But nothing nothing that isn't done the right way will last the test of time. You look at Rome. You look at whatever you want to look at. History has shown us that. Yeah, definitely. So that's interesting because from what I'm hearing, you said a lot, like, you know, we always go to others to seek how they can help us or resolve our problem. And then really all it takes is looking in the mirror. But sometimes it's hard to face even your own fears. 
and becoming real with with yourself and I've learned that at the end of the day, we are the ones that hold the answers to our own problems um, as well. And so that's where like the inner work starts to come into play and your shadow work and realizing, okay, maybe there are some traumas and it's not more so about what the person is saying, but how you react to it as well. And then there's certain triggers that come up. So how does someone like deal with all of that. Like they're finally at a place where like, okay, I can't get it from anybody else. It's really truly up to me, but there's a lot that's coming up. I, this, this may sound like a, a little extreme, but this is the route that I had to go. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time at like Buddhist temples and it's something that you said literally they talk in a way they don't realize it but that's why i said these principles have been with us throughout time i mean um the the main premise they always say is um seek within which is pretty much shadow work and self-work if you break it down conceptually um uh, another big thing is is the middle passage um and i think because subconsciously we're always trying to get our way uh, the middle way is a principle where there's, let's say me and you are in any type of exchange, whether it's a conflict or just a negotiation. Uh, the principle of the middle way is, I don't want my way and I don't want your way. I'm not looking for either one of us to get, or get our way. I'm looking for the best way forward for both of us. So what that ensures is that you're always in a good spot. And I think tying that back into your actual question is, we kind of have to fall out of love with ourselves um and what i mean by that is um, these things are so hard and it's hard to look at ourselves because we we associate um we don't want to associate anything negative with ourselves even though we feel negatively about ourselves mm -hmm. so it's like i don't want to be selfish and then inherently all human beings have a certain level of selfishness it allows us to function it allows us to thrive it's not just a bad thing or like if you tell someone they have a trigger, I don't tell me I'm being triggered. It's because we're afraid to own anything negative. But it's like pH. You need some toxicity. Well, I shouldn't say toxicity. You need a certain level of acidity, um, you know, to bring balance. So it's about us being able to fall out of love with ourselves. And I never say emotional detachment. Mm -hmm. That's too extreme. That's not natural. But emotional separation like where we're able to look at ourselves. You know, it's like people who have conflicts with their parents because sometimes they build them up to like superheroes. But when you're able to see them as a person, as you mature, that's why those relationships tend to come back in because you're able to recognize flaws and incongruencies and still take a look at the whole. So if we can separate from having to, you know, like I don't want to be wrong or was I mean, where we realize these are just decisions and choices. If we can separate, um, I think it's a little bit of Judeo-Christian judgment sometimes um, on our actions. If we can just look at ourselves separate from what's right, what's wrong, and understand decisions and, pers and perspectives, it starts there. So I think not being afraid to be triggered, not being afraid. You cannot be a hero unless you're willing to accept being a villain. And I think we always want to be the hero. So anytime there's a narrative that plays us as the villain, it causes so much conflict and we can't go there. So that's why we can't go into those spaces. That is so true because I think one of the things that I've learned too is just that we, I overextend myself. And so it's that people, people pleasing, but without even, like, without even knowing. And so I think a lot of people have that human trait where they want to please other people and they kind of like box themselves in or they move a certain way because they don't want to come off in a different perception. And so I think you have to get to a point where you, you do have to be a little bit selfish and be okay with that and not worry about what others are saying so that you can innately grow yourself. And I think that's what I personally like have, I'm like struggling with is the perception. And like you said, like you have to be okay being triggered and to unlove yourself. Jake, like, how, how am I supposed to do that? Like, that's like, you're asking me to go within myself. I need to find the courage. 
that it takes courage to do that to go be like you know what i'm you want to trigger you know this is triggering me that's okay but yes i know being triggered it's like it's just letting you know like for yourself like this thing triggers me and i need to understand why is it triggered it which of, of course it requires you to go back within right you need to go look at yourself but to like unlove yourself in that process that that's experience like how do you like how do you do that how do you face it but also with you like what experience do you have around that like what guidance can you give someone to say okay all right this is how you need to unlove yourself and be okay with your triggers but also like so that way you can be this person you want to be and how to deal with these type of problems or past traumas um i wish i had an easier way to say it but typically where this occurs is going to be in the space of either um and i say this a lot but it's like no one ever says like what really transformed you or what like made you as a person no one says you know it was a beautiful vacation to tulum and it just really changed my life yeah it's always some type of pain or conflict or loss Mm -hmm. so um it's literally like you you find these things or you start even being able to challenge these things when you're stripped when you're stripped of everything else um you know like i think there's references in every aspect of culture in the bible they talk about it they're like you know you you like moses like you know he was in the desert with nothing he wouldn't come to that realization as a prince you know living it so it's literally you have to have everything stripped away from you or you have to go through uh and sometimes it's in a relationship sometimes it could be the loss of a loved one or a parent but there's going to be something that that's going to disrupt the homeostasis. It's like in theater. They say a play doesn't start until uh, Deus Ex Machina. So it's basically when something, it's like the, everything's perfect, everything's fine, something comes down and interrupts that. And that's the beginning of action. And that's where the play starts because you need conflict. So we try to avoid conflict so much. We're like, I don't want to have an argument. I'm not trying to be upset. It's because we think conflict means hurting someone else. Conflict yes. just means yes. two opposing thoughts. Like people are not okay with cognitive dissonance. Like you know, you ever be like, if, like I had friends and they're like, well, I don't agree with that. I'm like, that's okay. I can accept you not agreeing, and that causes so much conflict for them because they don't know how to live with the duality. So sometimes people won't accept you just because you're okay with certain things, and it's not even about you. And you can that's why you don't even have a problem with them. But they that makes them aware. The worst thing you can do for someone who is not prepared to live in the truth or acknowledge themselves is put them around someone who does it religiously. Mm-hmm. They'll want to be by them. It's like moths to a flame. It's literally going to kill them, but they're drawn to it. And that's why I've noticed a lot of people, good people, they may have like their friend network. Is going to be some friends that have resentment towards them. Mm-hmm. And I talk to my clients a lot about this because that's the most dangerous place because what you do is you have someone who has the benefit of someone on your inner circle, but also the intent at times of one of your enemies. That's a very dangerous spot to put that in, but that's all about managing ourselves. But yeah, you basically need conflict. You need conflict. um, And it's a willingness that's going to come from having no other choices because as humans, we're not going to just naturally do it. Very few people, even if you get wealthy, something you either need a profound loss or a profound sense of emptiness. Those places come all the way at the top and all the way at the bottom. So it's either someone at the height of their success where they've indulged everything they can indulge, and they, they recognize that there's a certain level of unfulfillment, but you can't tell people that until they get it. So that's right. top and the bottom. It's, and it's so funny you say that because I was listening to your podcast episode, Disruption and Purpose. And you mentioned that there's three areas in your life. There's like your personal romantic life, your professional life, and your inner self. And if one is disrupted, then it leads to the other disruptions in your life. And that hit me because I remember in the past, like everything would be going fine. Like career was going well. My family is good and healthy, but my love life was in shambles. And I'm just like, I don't understand. And then it would shift. And then all of a sudden work wasn't going well and it was stressing me out. And I was 
just depressed and not knowing what to do and then trying to figure out what my calling and purpose was. And then all of a sudden, health and family started to shift and change. So it was like a, a, a trip over effect. And then you had your split rock moment where, you know, either it was a really bad breakup and a heartbreak that really brought me to be aware, like, okay, what do I really want for my own self and how can I face my own fears? And how come I didn't, you know, uh, make certain decisions and speak up during conflicts? And then even just more like recently having my dad pass away um, in April, that's like a split rock moment where that catapulted me in really defining my purpose and who I am and going into my calling. And so having like those different perspectives and just how fear plays a role in all of that and knowing yourself really just it's eye-opening and it's also like a rebirth process yeah uh, rebirth i i think is is the perfect way to put it um i, I commend you on, on working through that situation having been there you know like multiple times myself um it's it's a profound loss because um and it's and i like to say especially if it was a good relationship Mm-hmm. Um, um, it, it 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 redefines things in a way that not much else does, and the reason for that is um, there are very few things that you've kind of had readily available to you from when you enter this world. So I think it usually signals a different journey. They like to set a split rock moment, um, and the answers that you come away from that usually wind up defining the rest of your life. Um, you spoke about uh, like breakups and I thought that was really interesting too because what I've noticed is people will miss um, they will miss things that didn't even make them feel good or um, situations where they weren't even happy and um, you know it kind of speaks to uh, understanding of ourselves and I think sometimes uh, the comfort Comfort and the feeling of authenticity um, can do more to keep us complacent um, or like we can get attached to that more than actually being authentic. Because being authentic is not, people always tout it and talk about it like it's powerful and it's great. Like, um, you know, dealing with that loss, acknowledging it in every area of your life. I'm pretty sure there were times where you felt like you didn't have that 110% to give in your work life, you know, dealing with the loss of, of a parent, you know? And, and I had to explain, I had some clients and they were like, you know, they had bad relationships with their parents. I was like, look, even if you have cancer, pancreatic cancer, and you have to have your pancreas removed, the pancreas is not doing anything for you, but you're still going to feel the loss from having it taken out of you. Yes. Um, you know, we're, we're made up of, um, I think Obama said it best, like, uh, with, you know, sons are shaped by their fathers, either their presence or their absence, but irrevocably they're shaped. Yes. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it's it's not something we can escape from. No, we can't. <laughs> we definitely can't. And like, just just listening to the both of you guys talk about this, it's like conflict for me is huge. I I went I came from someone like who doesn't like conflict, and I find myself like. No, you gotta face this conflict. And I get to a point where I'm like, okay, this is enough for me. Like I know when to be like when to pull away. And then I have others who's like, no, we need to deal with this. Like it needs to be dealt right now. So for me, like I find myself like I I get like tense and I go within and I shut down because it's like I know this is not gonna go anywhere. So until we like, I, I need to be like a balance. I need to like bring myself down. I need you to bring yourself down. Um, because like conflict is very difficult to deal with other people. And I like how the both of you guys are talking about how to deal with those things, especially when you love, when you lost someone. And to come into that and to deal with that, like for me, I don't know, I don't know how to like move past that. So like for me, I shut down. And that's something like I'm, fighting with myself to do because I know like it's not them that that needs to fix it for me I need to fix it I need to work on it and I'm working on it and I'm and I'm challenging myself to deal with it but sometimes the outcome is just not it does it's not positive and it's always like you know I don't get you and I'm like for me it's like it's okay 
Like, I don't know how else to make it. I, I don't know how else to make you get me. But, but I know, like, this is something that I need to go back. I need to reflect on and I need to work on for myself. Well, something you said there um, make me think. And, and I think you actually do have a process. I think you, it, it is um, a healthy thing. Like you said, when these emotions are strong and you don't, and some people say, no, you need to be able to talk about this now. And it makes you think there's something wrong that you're not ready. But I think, like I mentioned before, taking that space and that time, I think maybe you just may need to communicate that you need that space and that time, but that's the most beneficial thing. Otherwise you're just speaking from um, feelings that you have that you may not even have tomorrow. So I think that is a good thing to recognize that you need time and to take those moments. So then what you're, because people will say, people ask you, what do you think, right? And they substitute with, how do you feel? What do you think? Like they're the same thing. How you feel is something you can always answer immediately because it's just an emotion. It's not always beneficial to talk about. But when people say, well, what do you think about this? And they kind of mean your feelings. Or sometimes when someone asks me, what do I think? And it's an emotionally charged situation. I say, you know, I'm going to need some time to think to really think about how I feel about that. I can tell, I mean, think about, I, I need some time to think about what I, my thoughts on that, because I can tell you how I feel, but this is a more important issue than just my feelings, because I got to take, if I'm thinking, if I'm using my thoughts and I'm using intellect and I'm going deeper and thinking about what this means to me and you and what it means moving forward and the context in which I want to carry that. So there's a lot more consideration. So, you know, if someone's pressing you, well, I don't need, they need to answer. Sometimes you really can say, and I think it's a healthy thing to say, I need some time to think about it so I can really tell you what I think about it and not just what I feel about it. So I definitely think that's, that's not a, I think you have a process there, maybe, it's another person to understand that it just might have to be communicated but i think that that's a fairly healthy process you might know like i'm charged up like you're going to get nothing but smoke right now so no, you're not. yeah so I'm, I'm going to take some time <laughs> let the smoke clear and then we'll see what we have yeah and and the other thing is like okay i think about it i'm like you know it's not that big of a deal it's not that serious like i was making a big deal i was making it a thing you know what body like go go sit somewhere you don't need to do all this extra stuff like you need to move on and sometimes it's like no like no we need to have a conversation so like i struggle with that when i move on when i deal with it when i process it because i have like like you said i have like the process and then i'm like oh, it's okay but then it's like it's like a it's, it's a cycle right like we have to break we have to we have to like move away from absolutely um i would take it to extremes where i would if i had a problem with someone um, I wouldn't even go as far back as to say, I would remove ownership from other people just so I could start being in control of my life because, um, you know, like we're all different people in different chapters. So I had a, a, a narrative where I was like a, a lot more volatile of a person and I had two younger siblings that I'm raising. So you start thinking about like what you want to articulate to them about, you know, um, what masculine, because we always, I think we define like masculinity as actions, you know, you need to be a man. And I realized from a teenager, I was doing things that a man does, but I was not a man at all. So that's, I realized manhood or masculinity is less of an action, but more of a thought process. Because mm -hmm. action can, can come from many different places. So we always say, you know, a real man does this, but it's really what a real man thinks. Mm. You know, like, even if yeah. you're in the, like I told my younger brothers about women, because this is a big part of male identity, you know, they'll say that, oh, men love sex. Or like, you know, men's, a man's weakness is women. And I real, I, I've come to understand that a man's weakness isn't women. A man's weakness is how he sees himself. And that will manifest in his relationship with women. Oh, okay. So is that, so that means, so if a man, or even for a woman, if they see themselves, I guess like so if someone cheats, is that more so because of how they think of themselves and not being worthy enough? Um, it could, well, see, 
Now, it's definitely tied to itself. Like, just like when people lie, like when men and women lie, so people say, oh, you lied to me. What I realized um, is that they're not lying to you. They're lying to themselves. Mm. Now, they tell, they, they tell you, and the reason they're lying to themselves is because they do not like their reality or there are some terms about their, their existence and their place in the world or their current position that they're not willing to accept. So they try, and it's too painful or unhappy for them to live in, so they try to create an alternate reality. And it cannot be real unless someone else believes it. So they just need you to buy in. So the lie has very little to do with you, but we tend to take ownership. And that's why I say most people, we usually make things about ourselves, but they have nothing to do with them. Right, and it's now like... you are hmm I was saying, like, right, and it's like uh, a way of coping to escape, escaping your own reality and your own pain, when really you have to really sit back and look at yourself and go back to the inner work and what those fears are so that you can face your reality and change your ways. Absolutely. And it's hard to do. That's why therapy mm-hmm. is important. Yes. No one's going to get up in the morning and say, Oh, you know, I'm playing three women and um, I'm not really giving my all at work. I need to really just break myself down today and assess it. No, they wake up and say, is my life comfortable? Am I taking care of people? You know, am I making enough money? You know, it's like Maslow's hierarchy. Is, yes. Um, if you're not in self isolation, <laughs> you won't think about it. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> right back to it. So one of the other things, Jay, that I heard through your um, podcast episode that really resonated was that when finding your purpose, um, sometimes there's fear that comes up, but you mentioned the importance of knowing your internal reason, which is knowing your I before you know your we or us. Elaborate on that for someone who is unclear about what that is. It goes back to your why. Mm. Why why will carry you or let you know when you need to stop? Um, I think it's good because it's never a bad thing. It just really helps you identify your purpose. Once your why why you're doing it doesn't meet the threshold of all the annoyance and frustration of having to do it, that lets you know that this may be a desire instead of purpose. And there's nothing wrong with having desires. It's just recognizing the difference between desire and purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, A desire is usually something you want very badly. I I always try to identify a purpose as something you want, but something that others would need from you, that the world needs from you. Um, It's like, I use Ikigai. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but um, it's a Japanese principle. It takes what you what you love, what you're good at, what you can get paid for, and what the world needs from you. Mm. Those four quadrants, the point and where they all touch, that's your reason for Ikigai means reason for being. So that's your purpose. Where all those things kind of connect, that usually helps people find like especially in the professional space, that helps you identify your purpose, what you love what you're good at, what the world needs from you, and what you can support yourself doing. Um, but we all know you can support yourself doing anything, depending on what sacrifices you're willing to make and how hard you're willing to go. But that's what I always use. Right. And I think for me, it took me 10 years to find my purpose. And so initially, um, when I went to college, you know, you grow up, and in our culture, like you can either be a lawyer or a doctor. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and so. Nurse, lawyer, doctor. Yeah. Right. Social work is nowhere in there. Social work is nowhere in there. So imagine me telling my parents, I'm not going to law school. I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be a social worker. They were like, what? <laughs> You're not going to make no money in that. Um, but for me, it was really more so. I started to become more aware of what is my passion and what do I really care about and what are my gifts. And so I realized that I really enjoy helping other people. As a lawyer, I felt like I couldn't get that on a more intimate level and be able to guide people in 
empowering them and finding their own resolutions to their problems and facing all of their fears and traumas. And so I said, okay, well, why not? I'm going to become a social worker. And that's when I feel like my journey started. And I began to craft, okay, what it is that I really want to do. And even throughout those years, just praying and asking God, okay, I know this is what I want to do in the career that I'm in, but I know that I, there is more for me to do. So how can I use my gifts and my voice to help other people? And that, and that slowly started to come over the years, but even still going through pain and loss, whether it was through a breakup or a loss of a loved one, um, and really molding who I am and still listening to what was being told to me through prayer or even through meditation. Um, and so not a lot of people know that or some people are fearful that it's going to take too long like what it took you 10 years but it's mm -hmm. all about your your journey and your story so for someone who is in this space where they're beginning to hear and see the signs of okay I, these are my gifts and i think this is supposed to be my purpose but i'm afraid what what would you say to guide them to step into that power well, first, I have to shout you out because 10 years to find your purpose is a really short amount of time. So, like, you know, like, if you do it 10 years, you're doing good. Because, you know, um, Pablo Picasso was writing, like, this was when he was, like, near death. He was writing, he's drawing on a napkin in the restaurant. And the waitress said, oh, that's beautiful. Let me have that. And then he said $30,000. She was like, it took you a minute to draw that. He said, no, it took me my whole life. Um, so... I, I look at it a little bit different. I think all the places and the detours and all that stuff that we think it was like it took me, I think that was part of it. I always say that everything happens, everything, I don't say everything has, a, everything happens for a reason because some, everything that happens has a purpose, even the things that should have never happened. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I definitely agree with that because for me, it was, um, I was everywhere at one point, whether gang in the streets, it, it was an odyssey, you know, by the time I went to college, I was, even though I was still young, but just based experientially, I was like already a grown man, and like, um, I don't have children of my own, but I was taking care of my family, so, you know, it's a different lifestyle and mindset, you know, when you transition from adolescence to mm -hmm. operating as an adult, you know, so, you know, these this journey is, it's everything, you know, it's all the stuff that you think, you know, like in college, you'll always say, why am I taking this class? It has nothing to do. Right. That was me. I never said that because I'd be like, there's always some type of skill. Like, even if it's, if it's the unrelated class, I'm never going to do anything in anthropology, but you might just have to learn how to work in a group. Or the biggest skill you may have to have is working on a project that you have no interest in. Right. Doing, doing things that you don't like is a skill you're going to need in your life for professional reasons in your relationships you know there's going to be parts of, of things or you know why, why do we have to go here if you don't and i think that's the biggest difference in society that's changing like even if you look at like social media everything like your purpose and what people need to do is learn how to do things you don't want to do but not just learn how to do them begrudgingly learn how to do them with vigor like mm. all you have to do is identify if you can find one thing you can connect to like okay i don't like this i don't care about any of this but i i do like representing myself well or i i want to learn how to communicate effectively with people so you know whether it's keeper records you have to find a small joy in anything and it's possible to find a small joy in everything so that's why it's really important about perspective. So like the big question is just really, how are you gonna choose to see the world? You know, we think it's hard, like, oh my gosh, like how does, what do you tell someone? There's no strategy. It's literally just, how are you choosing to look at life? You can see the things that you don't want, the things you don't like, the things that are missing, or you can see what you can create. Or like, I'm gonna take this, or this class, they don't like that, but I'm gonna structure the group, or let's turn this project into uh, something we can perform. Mm -hmm. Find a way to, you, instead of just seeing where you don't fit, you find a way to bring yourself in. 
Yes, I completely agree with that. You, it's it's a mind shift. How can you see a little bit of joy in in something that can be greater than what it is, even if you don't like it? Because everything um, is a life lesson and shapes like who you are and and your journey. Um, I would say yes. It took me ten years to find my purpose, but I also still feel like I'm crafting it. Like it's so weird. Like, I feel like I'm still in the midst of like deep, I'm deep learning and it feels good and exciting at the same time. But sometimes self-doubt creeps in it. And then I get scared, like, wait a minute, I don't know, but I think I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep on going and I'm going to keep on pushing and to see where it goes. And then the more you, you trust the process, trust where you are, um, the outcome and what you see and get in return is amazing. And that's what I'm like learning for myself to say, as you talk about like the fears, like it's going within to like work on those areas, like the unhealthy habits that we have, the unhealthy way of coping with things. Like, okay, for me to like find my purpose, for me to walk in it, because that is already in me. It's like, I need to deal with those things for me to like shift my mindset, like for me to be on the other side, to walk towards that because it's, not easy at all and find you know like with what you said earlier you got to unlove yourself it's almost like to love yourself you got to unlove yourself you got to unlearn those things to start to to love the person you want to be to desire the person you want to be to walk in that purpose to become this person and so it's like it's a lot in the background the background work that you have to do so that you can be in the forefront of it yeah, no, I, I and I think it's definitely a case that we're always becoming. I don't ever think it's a destination, like, oh, I'm this person. I think Never. once we accept that we're always going to experience self-doubt, yeah. <laughs> like um, me, occasionally, it'll be imposter syndrome because, you know, you can be sitting at a table with a bunch of scientists, yes. and then you're like, if they knew I used to rob people, like, they were <laughs> like you know, it's just like, this is not like, you know, it's, so it's, it's like, um, but saying all that to say it's literally like you can convince yourself you can create anything you can convince yourself of. um you know i was like you know I, I i didn't have a science background but i said i wanted to be in this space people respond to storytelling um mm. you know whether it's in relationships job interviews people all oh, my resume i was like the reason you're sitting there is because you have requisite skills it's about crafting a narrative. Yes. And I learned the power of storytelling and it put me in rooms that some people probably think I should never be in or it creates opportunities. Like, um, I hate to say it, but perception is reality. It only becomes reality once you perceive it. Um, so you really have to, I mean, it's just, like I said, you, you, if you can see it and plan it, then it, it, it can happen. Yeah. Just see it. But you got to see it and plant it, and it can happen. Mm-hmm. It's like a mustard seed. <gasps> you just plant it, and it'll, and it'll grow. Literally. Mm. Yep. I like that. I like, I like that. Crafting your narrative. Yeah, and, like, you know, people come to me with technical resume advice. I give them some, but it's not really about that. I tell them it's like, and shadow mentors, you know, especially when I'm talking to, like, a lot of black men, they want to do something, they don't see anyone around. I like the mentors I didn't have, I created. There's enough information about someone doing something that you want to do. So I would cobble together that. And I, when I would sit down in front of interview with people, you know, I would go between their Facebook, their LinkedIn. So I knew this person to a certain degree. You know, they like Russian. Information is power. So that's why you need to know as much. You need to know as much as you can about yourself to become powerful. Mm-hmm. And we always just look at it externally, like, yeah, information is power. I need to study this and that. Yeah, you can become an expert at that, but what what can you do with that once you become an expert on yourself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Jay. Like, this was so much fun. Like, I'm learning a lot, and it's definitely giving me it's it's burning on my perspective on how I view things and that and knowing that what I'm doing, like, I'm on the right path. Like, I'm actually like doing the work, and I'm like you know, with the process and I'm definitely changing my narrative. Um, and it's been fun. Like I've been enjoying it and I'm like being, you know, everything's been thrown at me and I'm like, I'm here, I'm ready to tackle it. So is there anything you want to leave us with? Cause we're going to end with a um, wildcard segment. So is there anything you want to leave our audience with? Um, just, you know, just, just 
anything that you're thinking of, no matter how outlandish it is, uh, think actually think about pursuing it. You know, we we miss so much great stuff out there because we don't think we deserve it. If you can think of it, it's in it's in it's in your reach. Everything arises from thoughts. Sure. Yeah. Thank you. Let's do a wildfire question. So this this is a fun part. So don't be nervous. Yeah. So we like to do this with all of our guests, just to you know make it a little more fun, spice things up. It's called our wild card segment. So we have ten questions, and you just pick a number, one through ten. Six. All right. What's the wildest thing you ever done? Jeez, uh, um, you know, I don't even know what I consider wild anymore. Um, well, yeah, I do. Okay, so I flew a plane without any license or any training. What? Yeah, I went. I was in Belize, and they had like a pilot. The pilot was like seventeen on one. You know, those like one in plane, small ones. And I convinced him to let me co-pilot. I mean, it was a little shaky. Like, I think there was maybe just two different times I almost killed everyone. It was like eight people on there. But after that, it was pretty smooth sailing. But I think that's the craziest thing because, like, I kept getting on the thing and being like, I'm the captain now. <laughs> oh, no. That's um, like out of a scale. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, it was, Um, I don't know if I would have done it again, but at the time, I just took my chances. So I would say that was pretty crazy because we were over open water. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. I'm not going to catch you doing that, but I'm happy you actually you had the opportunity to enjoy and experience it. Not for me. Okay, yeah, I can understand that. <laughs> maybe one day. I don't know. Maybe one day. All right. So where can everybody find you, Jay? Um, you know, I'm on Instagram at podcast, we the people, um, as well as I think email Jay. The number four, we the people at gmail.com. Um, yes, you know, definitely leave comments, always encourage interaction, and um, hopefully, we talk again. I really enjoyed it. Yes, this was oh, All right, thank you guys for listening. If anything resonated with you guys today during our episode, leave us a comment. If you'd like to be our guest or want to suggest a topic for us to talk about, email us at millennialbasedpodcast at gmail.com.